This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Welcome to the Nakuda podcast for Parshas Toldus. Uh, we've talked about some of these ideas before, but I'd like to put it together, possibly in a somewhat new way, on the basis of new information that we've uncovered in various studies, and um, it really fits together uh, to give some insights, especially considering the present uh, world situation, what we're seeing in the world, which only kind of confirms what we've seen for a long time, but again, in the, in the, in the context of the Parsha, uh, it gives some interesting insights. This Parsha highlights the um, conflict between Yaakov and his brother, twin brother, Esav. Uh, this is... Um, an historical conflict, which has been around for a long time. Uh, it's very interesting that it uh, started from the very beginning. I mean, it's, it's something that's been a, uh, going on since then and still going on. Um, the present, you know, um, present conflict in, in the Middle East has been uh, generally attributed to the conflict between uh, the Jewish people and the uh, children of Esau, being the uh, Arabs. It's kind of assumed that the Arabs are descended from Esau, although it's not so easy to confirm that either. Or rather from Ishmael, but um, that's not so easy to confirm. But in any case, Esau is generally seen to be the ancestor of the Western world, uh, particularly Europe. Esau uh, corresponds to Edoim. Edoim is uh, usually ought to be the precursor of Rome. Uh, and Rome, you know, could be seen to be uh, succeeded as an empire by uh, possibly England, um, Russia, the United States even. But in any case, it's considered to be the um, the uh, the Western world. And the Western world has had, a, you know, a very long-standing uh, history of anti-Semitism. And... Uh, the whole existence of the uh, the uh, country of Israel uh, has been, in a sense, a guilt offering by the Western world after the uh, Holocaust, World War II, kind of a peace offering in a sense. Um, and what's happened since then is simply an indication that the story is not over. Uh, there's a lot going on here. Uh, the fact that um, there's a lot of uh, European involvement, I'm even going all those, as far as Australia, um, you know, South, uh, South Africa, I mean, all kinds of places uh, that anti-Semitism is rearing its head once again uh, in response to this conflict which has nothing to do with them. Um, and is truly, truly 
an anomaly. I mean, very, very difficult to understand on a moral basis how these countries are reacting the way they are. I mean, some of them have actually come out to support Israel, but it's only been, in terms of the administrations, uh, but in terms of the, the populace, uh, you've got lots of people that are taking the side of actually supporting Hamas and uh, backing up their most extreme slogan of, uh, you know, free Palestine from the... the um, from the, the river to the sea, meaning basically wiping out all of Israel. Uh, and since they've already shown that they mean blood, they mean that they want to kill. I was thinking that, you know, the, the um, Hamas is, is exactly the opposite of the slogan of live and let live. It's, it's kill or be killed because they're very happy being killed also. They don't care if their civilians are killed either. But in any case, the point is that this is... Um, this is like jumping on the bandwagon, meaning that this was an old, old uh, sentiment that um, the Western world has had for a very long time. And, and, and the fact that they're now uh, uh, jumping in with such fervor to support this, this uh, so-called Palestinian cause means that this was an ax they had to grind from way before that. And they're just, you know, uh, they're just... Uh, taking advantage of this particular manifestation of it to be able to join forces in, in, a, in a cause that they've actually supported for a long time, which is basically taking down the Jewish people in any way possible. And especially, and this is what I really want to you know delve into a little deeper here, when it comes to trying to show that the Jews are not moral, are not act acting morally. Uh, this is a real, real major point here. Uh, you know, is the, what is the main problem they're having here is that, the, that they're claiming that Jews in, in defending themselves against a, an enemy that is out to destroy them are using means which are not morally acceptable. Uh, totally ignoring the fact that they're dealing with, with you know, cold-blooded Killers on the most barbaric possible level, and, and and they're worried about you know that the means used to defend the, the the Jews used to defend themselves against people that are already violating every rule of the book are somehow you know immoral. So why are they you know what is it that they you know do they even get down on Russia the way that they're handling Ukraine? They don't get down on China you know the way they deal with their their uh, um, you know. Uh, uh, what do they call them? Uh, people that don't agree, agree with them. All kinds of of countries that do things that are much much worse. And here they get down on the Jews for defending themselves against uh, an enemy that's out to destroy them. Okay, so so let's go back to this this story of Yaakov and Esav. Esav is uh, this, this, there's there's this major episode about the um, the uh, selling of the of the Bechoira. Now, the Bechoira is a real, real major thing, which, of course, we really don't appreciate today very much, but it's throughout the Chumash, it's a, it's a major, major issue 
is who is going to get the Bechoyra and how they use the Bechoyra and the way that it gets switched around. In many cases, it's not given to the oldest, as you would think it's supposed to be given. Uh, the example, for example, of, of uh, Yaakov's own children, that the real leadership ends up going to Yosef instead of Ruvain, who is the the, uh, the real Bechor in terms of being the first the firstborn of uh, his for his mother, uh, which you know is a lot older than Yosef, um, and yet his that leadership is taken away from him and, tra- and transferred to to Yosef. We see it. Later on, um, in in other cases as well, uh, Moshe was uh, took the presence over over Aharon, who was the who was the bechor, the bechorim in general, that had the uh, the kahuna. They, they 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 were the ones who uh, took care of the priestly responsibilities uh, until the cheta egel, where when the levium replaced them. So now they, there was it was no longer that the Bechoyim themselves were the ones uh, that had that responsibility. Uh, later with David Amelech, he was also one of the younger ones in the family, or the youngest actually. Uh, he, and he, uh, you know, took the position above um, above his old his you know the older brothers. Plus, he's even called a Bechoyer in terms of uh, the king, he's called, the, the, the Hashem has chosen him as his Bechor, as a king, when Shoal actually preceded him as the first king. So he wasn't even the first king, and still he's called a Bechor. So all these cases, the Bechor is not really the Bechor. Why? Because Hashem wants to give it over to the person who is most qualified for the job. I mean, if there's no particular problem with the Bechor, or there's no particular person that's younger than him that, that would take precedence, then of course it's given over to the, to the firstborn. But in a situation where, in all these situations anyway, was extremely important who became the Bechor. There were, it was a, it just happened all over the place that, that the younger one actually was the one who took over. So in this case, it's very, very clear that, that Esau is, couldn't care less about the, the actual responsibility involved in the Bechor, being the Bechor. He just wanted to have the title. And the honor, or whatever, it wasn't interesting to him the fact that he that the job was about serving Hashem and even putting his life on the line if necessary to to serve Hashem uh, and, and accepting the responsibility that that was uh, you know the, the giving it the um, the respect and the the serious uh, seriousness that it deserves, and he made that very clear. And that was the whole exchange between them. And basically, that's why he be willing to give it up. You know, look, if this is going to endanger my life, then I'm not going to, I'm not interested. You know, you take it. I don't care. So later on, it, it comes out that he wants to, to have his cake and eat it too. You know, he wants to be able to, to not take on the responsibility, but that he should still have the covet. He should be able to get the honor for it. So this is a, this is a theme. And, and the fact that Yaakov is the one that is, um, is is taking on the, the the responsibility of learning the Torah and and really being his father's uh, uh, you know his father's uh, 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 the one who really carries on the father's tradition the father the, 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 that which the father holds to be important he uh, he he basically does what he wants and he becomes this. Playboy, you know, uh, uh, adventurer type of person. 
that makes him, you know, kind of uh, flashy and and uh, makes him uh, kind of uh, attracts a certain amount of attention. But when it comes down to the substance, he's basically doing what he feels like and does not want to be burdened with the responsibility of thinking about whether it's really right or not. So the fact that that the the, the mantle is really uh, uh, passed down to Yaakov, who's the one that's learning Torah all day. That's the, obviously what Hashem wants in terms of who's going to lead the Jewish people. So the Jewish people is always ends up being um, the, the 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 voice of morality, the voice, the, the conscience, the, the conscience of the world, the voice of you know what is really the right thing to do as opposed to what feels good or what we you know uh, the the we, what we envision for ourselves as being this this kind of of uh, hero um, uh, uh, you know adventurer uh, uh, activist whatever it is that that gets the attention so so it, it's very interesting that there was uh, a while ago I don't know if you uh, were ever exposed to the artwork of Norman Rockwell who was a very um, uh, prominent illustrator back in the old days. And he was once commissioned to do a mural for the United Nations. And it's, it's not, it was not Jewish. And he chose to do this mural as a, with a, a, a kind of a collage of, of um, ethnic you know, character types. People obviously had an ethnic identity. And how, does he, how did he do it? He put it in the background of this picture is this very obviously Jewish sage-like person with a beard that's like overlooking the whole thing from the from from the from behind from the back, like the biggest character in the whole thing, and you just get this feeling like he's he's basically making a statement that the Jews are the ones that are the moral conscience conscience of the world, and not only that, he also has a young person in there that's obviously Israeli. I think there's an Israeli flag there. It was also holding a little safer Torah. So it's, it's a fascinating thing. You can look it up. But the point is that that this the, the the goyim intrinsically acknowledge that the Jew is the moral voice of the world, the conscience of the world. So when they can, and, and that makes them feel very uncomfortable because as long as the Jew is is in the background and doesn't have any real power. To enforce any of this this uh, consciousness, this is conscience, and he's just you know he's just sitting there. So then the world can can handle that. But the moment that the Jew has some kind of actual power, or he's even able to stand up for himself, and he's not just a victim, um, they they have this tremendous fear. First of all, they have a fear that the Jew is going to impose some kind of moral conscience on them, that they're going to have to evaluate their own actions more. Or they're afraid that they might actually get some kind of political power on their own, and and if they really look towards you know the prophecies of the end of time, you know we, have to, we talk about Mashiach, we talk about this kind of thing that the Jews are going to be very in a very preeminent position, and they're not going to maybe be able to do all of the the uh, uh, morally questionable things that they would like to do, especially today when everything's totally hefker, everything people doing all kinds of crazy things that they never even imagined doing, and now they've thrown morality out of the out of the out the window altogether, and they're just mamas doing what they want. But the point is that they are that that there's the the anti-Semitism is based on fear. It always was, and it always will be. 
the, 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 back, to, back to Paro. What was Paro worried about? He was worried about that what happens if the Jews could join with our enemies and they throw us out of the land? So there was, they were worried. They were, they were, they were concerned about the power that the Jews you know, could exert over them. So therefore, they had to enslave the Jews first. Uh, Nasser, the, the Egyptian uh, dictator that, that wanted to make this, this uh, neo-Middle um, Eastern empire, whatever, he, he, uh, I remember one time that he, he, why, he said, I'm not, anti, I'm not against the Jews per se, but they're so, that's powerful people that if they have their own land, they're going to take over the world. So that's what he was worried about. He was there all the time. These, these attacks on Jews are because the, the non-Jews are worried about the Jews. What's going to be the Jews? They, it's, it's kind of a, a um, uh, I don't know what the word is, sublimination or something. It's, it's, it's that when, when, you cast, when you cast your own fears on, on, on somebody else, and it was when you're saying that, that um, because I am like this, therefore I'm afraid that somebody else is also going to be like this. So they, they say that if I would have the, um, uh, or somebody like me, let's say, would have the powers that they have, I would be very worried that they would want to, or even I myself would want to take over the world. But now that that they have it, so I assume that this is the way they would react with it, even though they haven't, even though they've never indicated that this, that, that would be, that they would be just doing that. I mean, the, the, the state of Israel never attacked anybody until they were, they were attacked themselves. It was always the world that that preempted and you know that 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 was aggressive and then in the course of, of being defensive they ended up taking over more than they were intending to do to begin with it's in the war of independence the six-day war now this in this conflict it's it's because they start up with us so you know what do they expect so so what we're talking about again is is that there is a, who is asav asav represents a certain type a certain a certain um, uh, he's taken on a certain role in the in the world vis-a-vis the Jews. Now it's interesting that in the in the in the Zoyar, um, it's it talks about the conflict between Yaakov and Esav as paralleling the conflict between Cain uh, and Hevel. You know, Cain and Abel. That with of course uh, Hevel being Yaakov and and uh, and Cain being being Esav. So in that conflict also. Who was the aggressive one? Who was the one that was, you know, the violent, aggressive one? That was against the more, uh, we had a conflict with the, with the brother who was more conscientious and more uh, maybe introverted or whatever, not so, not, not, not so powerful uh, physically anyway. And in the end, he ended up, uh, the, the, um, in the end, so Hashem ended up telling Cain that you know uh, you have the power to be able to 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 control your Yitzhahara, and uh, but if you don't, you're going to get into trouble. And sure enough, he gave in and he he gave into Yitzhahara and he killed his brother. And then he comes crying back to Hashem that you know now I'm in trouble. You know now anybody can kill me and, and all this stuff. So Hashem had promised him that he's going to protect him. But the point is that that that. In that case, also we talk about in, in just before the incident with Yaakov, that Esav um, had killed Nimrod, so he was he was also this murderer type. I mean, he was this this uh, at, at, at best you can call him you know a, 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 I don't know a, a, a opportunist, a, 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 
aggressive type of person, you know, all of these 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 types of midas that were the opposite of of Yaakov being the more uh, introverted one, the more you know the the, the, the stay at home, you know, the one that was the, the, the scholar, this the, the one who's studying all day all day, and he's out in the fields all day. So then the big question comes up: <clears throat> if this is the case, and it's so clear that Yaakov is the one that that's bearing the the uh, the mantle of of, of leadership of, of the Jewish people and and his descendants as opposed to Esau. So why did Yitzchak support Esau? So this is a big question that comes up, and I, I don't want to go. It's, it's a it's a subject for itself, and and uh, I can't spend the time on it that I would like to. But and I think I've mentioned it in previous, maybe last year also. But there's an idea that that Yitzchak felt that there was at least I mean there's many different approaches to the to, to the subject, but Basically, it seems that Yitzchak, being on the side of Gevura, uh, felt that there is definitely a place, and, and actually that the two complement each other, that, that if when, when there's a worldly one, the one who goes out in the world and you know a hands-on type of person, a person who's really, really uh, dealing with the world and conquering the world and, and, and involved with the world, if he is in support of the one who's sitting and learning, and and holding up the um, the uh, the moral part of it, you know, the the religious part of it, and giving the direction, the leadership in that level. That if, if there's a partnership between the two, that can be indeed a very a very um, uh, powerful partnership. And we have that, that idea that Yisachar Zvulin, where one's involved with the business and where he's supporting the other one to be the head of the Sanhedrin. Uh, we have in all kinds of situations, uh, even today, this idea of the people sitting in coil and learning, and there are other, other people in business that are that are, are supporting them, you know, sending money to support them. So that is really the way it's supposed to work, in a sense, that there are those that are they're, they're learning that aren't involved with Parnassa, and those other ones that are very much involved with Parnassa that are that are supporting the ones that are learning. So that's really it. It gives the person who you know the, who is is. Um, uh, has the personality and uh, we could say the zitzlai. She has the the um, uh, interest in 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 that serious religious scholarship thing uh, to be free of the responsibility of having to work uh, for some kind of commercial purposes, and he's able to actually sit and learn. So for him, that's a, that's very liberating. Whereas for the person who's not particularly into learning. Um, it's it's a it's an opportunity for him to support that and therefore become you know have that schist that he can he has that that uh, merit to be able to have it for himself even though he's not directly involved in so learning so much himself and hopefully has some kind of a seder but he's not uh, doing that full time so that's how we really it's supposed to work so there's no no contradiction between Yitzchak supporting Esav if he was doing what he was supposed to do the problem is is that again he wanted to shirk that. All that that responsibility that that he wanted to to be able to do whatever he wants and not be limited in any way. Plus, he wanted the honor for it as well. Again, he wanted to be the 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 top dog. He wanted to he should be the head of the, the family and everything. So he felt very uh, um, very uh, offended and 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 uh, um, outsmarted or whatever that that he that he was divested of that. Uh, of that that title and everything, so that's why it had to be taken away from him in a kind of a devious means. Even though he himself used devious means to to uh, to, to trick his father into thinking that he was something he wasn't, uh, and then it was used against him, and he got all upset about it. So uh, whatever, that's um, 
that's basically what it's about. Now, there's a whole other issue here about uh, that I was going to go into about um, the meaning of pleasure as a whole. You know, is it a contradiction that somebody should have the pleasure of the physical world? And this this is dealt with by the Lakita Toyota by um, the Chernobyl Magid, where he talks about this concept that that Yitzchak saw in Esav the 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 ability to take the potential of using the physical world uh, in a spiritual way. In other words, that we see that the the um, the base of Mikdash was definitely um, a place where there was lots of pleasurable things. I mean, there was there was there was food. There was uh, you know beautiful. There's a beautiful structure, there's music, there was all kinds of things that were definitely very, very uh, beautiful and, 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 and sensually stimulating in that sense. Um, and we see the Jewish religion itself is hardly ascetic. It's something which, which we're very much involved in, in you know, all, everything, the celebrations of holidays with, with uh, wonderful meals and uh, all kinds of, every simple that comes up is, is celebrated with meals and, and, you know, it's no contradiction to have beautiful clothes and beautiful and, and good food and all these things are, are, are it's part of the, the religion itself. It's not at all, uh, you know, encouraging asceticism. But the point is that all of it is, is, is for the sake of Hashem. It's to increase the glory of Hashem. We should see that Hashem is, wants us to be happy. He, he wants, there's a concept of tainig. And just as there's a tainig, there's a, 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 a enjoyment of of the spiritual aspect that's, that goes together with the totality of the spiritual and the physical, meaning that we have that 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 when we enjoy the physical in the proper way, the proper intention, and for the proper reason, that can be consistent with feeling the 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 joy and the tining and the and the, and the pleasure of of the the uh, of of the uh, spiritual world and spiritual involvement and a spiritual interaction and interaction with Hashem. And we experience everything in the physical world to be from Hashem as well. And we see Hashem within the physical world. So all of this stuff is, is one unity. It's, it's supposed to be, so it's supposed to work together. It's not a contradiction. So the fact that, that this was necessary to take this, the, the, uh, the mantle away from Esau is not because the two are intrinsically incompatible. It was because of the behavior of Esau himself and the kinds of choices that he made that he was not up to be able, being able to handle that. But you know, ultimately, in terms of you know, Mashiach comes. Those that that uh, don't oppose the you know the, the 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 dominion of Hashem in the world are going to join together with Eden, and it will all become one unity whereby each nation you know, has its own contribution to make, and each nation becomes part of that cloud, that, that whole, which is going to serve Hashem altogether. And everyone is going to experience you know, the, that world of enjoyment and, and, and tainik on, some, on whatever level is appropriate to him. So, so it's, again, this is not because there's, a, there's a, an intrinsic... Um, intrinsic uh, contradiction. It's because it has to do with our choices. If we choose to serve Hashem, we can choose to serve Hashem with the Gashmias, with the physical world, or we can choose to serve Hashem with the, phys- with the, with the spiritual world, and we can work together with, you know, the, that both sides can work together to, to, to form a whole. But only if the ultimate intention on both sides is to serve Hashem that way, and not just to be out for, us, for, for ourselves, for our own honor, our covet, our, our, our enjoyment, whatever it is, and, and uh, you know, just for ourselves. 
So anyway, this is, I think, gives a little bit of a, a, an insight into what's going on. Uh, Sai, you know, today, and, and that it's very uh, much uh, part of what's been going on uh, from the very beginning, and um, should hope that uh, the, all of these conflicts will be resolved in a peaceful and, uh, and uh, satisfactory way for all involved.